Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce Amy Walsh, former member of the Canadian Women's National Soccer Team, Canadian Soccer Hall of Famer. Um, thanks so much for, for taking the time and coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Alex. Great to be here. Uh, I first want to ask you a little bit about your, your career and was it always your dream as a kid to to go to the Olympics and play professionally and um, go to a World Cup as well? Um, the the soccer specific stuff came a little bit later just because I it wasn't on my radar. I had no idea it existed. Um, and really playing professionally wasn't something that you could do, at least in North America, certainly not in in Canada, which I'm I'm sure we'll get to because it's 2023 and there's yeah. still no women's professional league, but mm. that's coming. Um, but no, when I was a kid, I played all kinds of sports, and that was a big part of I think why I was able to become an elite soccer player was because of my upbringing. I had great support from my from my parents, but I also I'm one of five, so all of my mm. siblings, I have three younger sisters and an older brother, all very sporty, all super competitive, and all actually very accomplished athletes in their own right. So. Um, small house, lots of people, lots of fight for space and what was yours, but also the side lawn was a great place to throw the football or kick a football, um, you know, go down to the park at the end of the street and shoot some hoops. And in the wintertime, we're up at a cottage just outside of um, Mont Tremblant, um, not a fancy one, but on, on Bark Lake where my my family has a cottage and we could skate on the lake and we could play shinny and we could do all sorts of stuff. So we, and we skied as well. So we did all kinds of sports and we were encouraged to play all kinds of sports. And it was also um, a time where um, specialization wasn't as important, which I think now is a, is a little bit of a deterrent, I think, to the, to the long-term development of our, of our young athletes. But um, we, I mean, the wide world of sports on, on, I don't know how old you are, Alex, I might be dating myself here, but 25. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a full two decades older than you, but we didn't really have, we didn't have cable. Um, so, you know, we caught, you know, CBC sports. And so you, you were at the mercy of whatever the programmers um, put on TV or, you know, whatever big event was being shown. So we watched everything. Um, and obviously encouraged our Canadian athletes. So I just wanted to, to, to go to the Olympics. Like that was the dream at that point, even though I didn't really know how to tangibly sort of put that into place, what the pathway would look like, but I just always really admired Canadian athletes. Um, and then it wasn't until um, our local paper put a, like a tiny little article in like the bottom of the sports section. So I'm from St. Bruno, Quebec, which is just outside of Montreal and um, two sisters from St. Bruno, uh, Connie and Maureen Kant, um, were members of, I think, the 19s. was after the 91 World Cup. Canada didn't go. Um, it was maybe the, the qualifications for that tournament or the next one. And I became aware that there was a women's national soccer team because these two sisters from just so happened to be from my hometown were wow. part of that team. And I said, well, hang on a minute. There's this exists, like there's actually a team Canada for soccer for the women. Well, that's what I want to do. But then I think I was in high school at that point. So, and, you know, yeah, continue. No, I was going to say, so my, my childhood idols, like there were no female athletes, like aside from maybe the athletics competitions I was watching on TV or, um, you know, uh, other Olympians that I admired. Um, and then in the, in the, uh, so my, my uh, idols were my, my big brother and, and Wayne Gretzky. Um, so I didn't have posters on my wall of, of, of female soccer heroes or women heroes, because there just weren't any that were on my radar. 
So up until that point, um, I didn't know that playing soccer for Canada was a possibility. And then these two sisters who happened to be from my hometown did it. And so then, and my sister and I, ironically, my sister, Cindy, we became then two other sisters from St. Bruno who played for the Canadian women's soccer team. So that was pretty cool. And my other two sisters, Sarah and Bonnie are, are kick-ass players in their own right. And what was it like to to play for the national team for, for so long and also play alongside your sister? Yeah, that was pretty cool. My first cap was actually against China in Ottawa and my parents were were there because Ottawa was a short drive from from Montreal and Cindy and I shared the pitch in, in my first cap and I think hers as well. And we'd both kind of come through the youth system. So we'd both done very well at the U20 level and sort of earned our spot on that World Cup team. But to, yeah, to be able to do it with my sister was pretty uh, was pretty special and unforgettable. Actually, it's one of my favorite memories from my entire career. And I, I want to ask you about, I know you played it, I mentioned before at the Olympics and, and at a World Cup, but you said how two World Cups, two World Cups, sorry. Yeah, um, okay. I meant I meant it as a general generality. But yeah, <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> uh, I know that's clearly a point of pride, which it should be. Yeah. And um, I want to ask, to make the Olympics, did you feel as though at that time and in the world and the two World Cups that you were a little bit of a hero to to younger girls? Did you feel that mm. way? Did, was it a point of pride for you? No, and um, I think you know the the fact that I um, corrected you there. I didn't take pleasure in correcting you, but I it it is a source of pride for me now. But only because I'm, you know, I retired in 2010 and I played my last game in 2009. Um, I think now I appreciate it with some perspective um, that it was a significant accomplishment that my career in itself and those, those um, you know, those two world cups and the Olympics and the moments that were struggles and were, were tougher times for me in my career, I think really um, are things now that I emphasize when I speak to young teams or young girls or, um, or younger athletes that might be seeking me out for, for guidance. And I wish that I'd, I'd celebrated those moments more. Of course I did in the moment, you know, when you're like on the field or it's just happened or you're at the Olympics and you're in the opening ceremonies, the closing ceremonies, of course, you're, you're in the moment, you're living in the moment, you're celebrating those. But I wish that I would have, without being um, kind of cocky and then being a show off, I wish I had taken more pride in, in maybe being more demonstrative of, of not necessarily my accomplishments, but playing for Canada should have been more of a source of pride than it was during my career. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish now, and I think that it's it's probably my personality. It's probably growing up in a big family where, um, you know, I probably would have taken a punch or a kick to the shins if I'd gotten too big for my britches, you know, so they kept me in check, but there, there's a balance, right? You can strike a balance with, with not walking around with your, your chest puffed out and saying, it's all about you. But I deliberately, like, I remember having moments where going to my club practice and I happened to have kit from, you know, my, the team Canada camp that I just, um, partaken in. And, and then at the time it was a big deal that we had either a shirt or a t-shirt or a tracksuit. Cause I mean, I know it's still talked about with, with our federation and how there's not enough kit to go around oh, and it's yeah. not really run in a professional way. And we will get to that as well. But back then it was even, um, you know, it was really rare to, to get anything sort of tangible from those camps. And I would deliberately choose not to wear it mm. because I didn't, I didn't want to go there and somebody say like, who do you think you are? 
you know, like I just, I, I wanted to kind of blend in and now that's a little bit of a regret. Maybe regret's a bit too strong a word, but I wish I'd relished those moments a little bit more because I'm sure given the opportunity, my teammates would have said like, we're proud of you. This is great. Like way to go. But instead of, I think I was maybe worried about the perception of that. And I wish I would have kind of done it a little bit more, not proudly, but uh, maybe in a more blatant way and said like, yeah, I, I am proud to to do this. And I can't remember now what your original question was. No, no, no. I, I want, I want to ask you on that note, when Canada won the gold medal and they, yeah. they won also bronzes as well. So, but especially the gold medal, did you feel that a part of you was in that team and, and kind of did, or even other members of the team that I'm sure you talked to, did you guys feel as alumni, as part of that gold medal team that, that won in 2021 in Tokyo? Um, I felt a sense of pride as having, you know, been, been part of that. And I jokingly say now, because I retired, just, I wish I would have had a chance to finish out that cycle because it would have allowed me to, I think, put a bow in my career um, when they won bronze, the first bronze in 2012, where Diana scored that goal in extra time against, mm -hmm. against France. We don't talk um, about the semifinal, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, we will not. Yeah. It'll have to be a much longer podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I realized later, like I found my way back to the sport through broadcasting, through media, now through my involvement with CF Montreal. And I'm so happy that I did because I really feel like it's where I need to be, where I can affect change, but where I have a really great base of knowledge. And I feel like I can really contribute to the growth of the game. But I felt kind of pushed out at the time. Um, and even though the girls called me from the bus, like on the way back wow. from this from the stadium when they won bronze um they made me feel a part of it even though I wasn't and maybe I was um still a little bit embittered by the way that I'd left um I think them winning um uh, and then 2016 like my twins just turned 9 this past weekend like I was in the throes of of parenting three kids and no sleep and yeah. um was sort of peripheral I think in my support and my involvement there but then in Tokyo was like definitely invested and was was doing some commentary for the radio here and and following them um, and my whole family came over and everybody was wearing Walsh jerseys and mm. and we watched and we screamed and we cheered and we were nervous but then they got to the the shootout and it was basically how Labe had, had con conducted herself like I, I, I had full confidence that they were going to win I was obviously nervous but had full confidence that they were going to win that game. So I did feel a part of it. And then I think I mentioned it before, like I joke now when I speak to team, they say like, I laid the foundation for the medals <laughs> with my career, which yeah. may or may not be true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I did feel very much a part of that. And actually it was a few days after the fact, I have a screenshot of it and it was um, Sophie and Sinky and Aaron McLeod um, FaceTime me. Wow. And I, I wasn't the only one who got a FaceTime. The three of them, plus Stephanie, um, made, but she wasn't in, on my call, but she was on others, made it a point to call like alumni, you know, people that they were connected with, people that they felt um, had a hand in it, even though they weren't directly involved. They weren't on the pitch. They weren't a member of the support staff, say like a Melissa Tancredi, who was yeah. actually there, or Robin, you know. Um, so I think that link is, is so important. I think it's something that our federation has done a poor job of, 
of acknowledging and recognizing that there's a lot of knowledge that could be gleaned from these past personalities, these past players that could be giving a helping hand to the current reign, to the current governance, to the current players that are being underutilized. Um, but yeah, to your question, I think I was, I was so proud. And I think now we've, we've kind of let them down, you know, like pulling the funding a few months ahead of their yeah. world cup. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's shameful and, and unheard of. And I, I can't believe that we've put them in, in that position because they're still going to be expected to get results. And this is a team that's just been desperate to have the same success at a world cup that that they've had you know in the three consecutive podiums at at the olympics and now we're putting them in a difficult position where we're expecting them to achieve um, these high standards and get these results but being underfunded and undercut and undermined um so anyway the the critics are still going to be there in, in droves um and I, and i just hope now we're two months out of the world cup that they get the support that they need even though it might be too little too late and I want to ask you, because in the past couple of days, uh, Charmaine Crooks became the new president of Canada soccer. What do you make of that appointment? Um, and also, you've alluded to it, but what needs to be changed at Canada soccer other than maybe just giving them more funding and, and not even just slashing it after winning all those medals and, and do, being so successful? Yeah, well, I I, I think I'll, I'll start there is... Um... I don't understand how you can throw, yes, it was the men's first World Cup in 36 years. And and the men succeeding also means that everybody succeeds because of the disparity that exists at FIFA and in the world of, of football. If you have a successful men's team, it usually means that some of that can be funneled into, you know, the the, the fiscal kind of the, the windfall that you'll get from that. And that can uphold your other programs. Um, but now where we are in terms of the CBA, and then you have a, a federation that's championing that and saying that we're going to follow the lead of, of, you know, our neighbors south of the border, even though that was a six year fight. Um, and then they sued the federation for institutionalized gender discrimination lost, but then eventually won the fight for, for equal pay. So we're hoping to do that in very short order. Um, but in the meantime, while you're publicly talking about wanting to do that and then that would it would be historic and it would be i'm not saying it wouldn't wouldn't be but how can you hold that up and and trumpet that publicly but then behind closed doors but also publicly as well because it's well known you 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 undercut your women's program and that's okay to do but you pull out all the stops for your men um and i'm not saying it would have been okay to cut the men's funding that's not what i'm saying but you you can't you can't do that to a, a, a historically successful women's program. I mean, you know, regardless of the results, but they have been the the team that has pulled this federation along in terms of recognition, in terms of results, in terms of notoriety, and yet you have the the balls to take the funding away mere months before their their World Cup. So there's a lot that has to change. Um, I think Charmaine as um, you know, the interim president and now the president for the remainder of Bontis's term, I think deserves a chance. I've been critical because I think in her, um, her term as a, or her involvement, her experience at Canada Soccer as a board member and then as a vice president um, was complicit in a lot of um, dodgy decisions. 
Um, and now it, as president, you think that there's going to be, um, you know, a different mandate. I, I hope to be surprised. Um, but now she has 12 months to, to prove otherwise. I think the fact that um, when, you know, she believes cup was happening and the team was protesting um, and then they were forced back to work. Um, and they wanted to strike and and couldn't because then they were threatened to be sued individually by our federation. Yeah. Um, and then Bontis resigns and then in short order, Cochrane also resigned. Um, I think that Charmaine staying silent and then the news that she hadn't reached out to our women's team, I think is is problematic. So I think if you translate that to how Canada soccer needs to operate, I think that's just a symptom of a greater issue, which is poor communication, poor PR. Um, so the the federation really has to kind kind of climb out of the dark ages and really come up to speed and and to be really, to be really taken seriously and to move into the modern era of soccer. I think you have to catch up in that regard. So um, you know, there's been a changing of the guard, as it were. Um, so now, can you be more professional? They talked about hiring a sporting director. What's that going to look like? Um, what is Jason DeVos going to do now mm-hmm. as as the interim general secretary, will he be able to do a better job than Earl did in running sort of the, the day-to-day? Um, I think from a from a budget standpoint, how how do we um, reward our national teams equally, um, reckon with that disparity that exists in terms of the FIFA monies and the prize money and, and how all of that is going to be taken care of with those two? But then what about the youth programming? What about the para-soccer? What about um, the beach soccer and the futsal and how do we take care of that? I think with project eight coming, I think that you have Emma Humphreys and Cindy Ty, um, really pleased about that because it's going to put, uh, a more robust support system and pipeline in place for our talent to be identified and to be supportive and to move up to support it and to be moved up through those ranks in a much more organized and sort of coherent manner then now it just seems like it it, it it happens by accident that we that we get these players like uh, Amanda Allen who signs a pro contract with with Orlando and these other players who are being developed we're outsourcing our talent whether it's sending players over to Europe um, or to other professional leagues that exist in the world or we're sending them to the NCA to be developed by the coaches there for their style of play that they want for three months out of the year. Like how do you hope to compete with a professional structure of a tier two or tier three team in, in France, for an example, where I just was last month with, uh, with Quebec soccer. So um, I've said a lot of things there. So I don't know how you, how you attempt to to fix the issue, but I think being more transparent to use that old uh, buzzword Um finally see the nature of this CSB deal. I don't think the CSB deal is bad. I think that we need to make sure the CPL stays healthy. I think it needs to make sure that that domestic pro league for men um, stays healthy and continues to develop the young players in this country, the young male players, but there has to be something for women. So project eight has, is going to start. We're going to learn lessons from other leagues that have started prior to Canada because we're the only team in the top 20 that doesn't have a domestic pro league. Um, so right away, Project 8 is going to be humming along because Diana and Tom are going to put something together that's going to make sense for the geography of our country, for, you know, the the investment that's available, for the sponsors that are that are clamoring to jump on board to support women's sport. But it has to be sustainable. You know, we have to put something in place that's going to exist in a decade, in, in two decades. And then can they work together? 
And can we do something so that the success of our national teams benefits them and benefits those youth programming without pulling away or those fund those funds being diverted to the CPL? Can they be supportive of one another without, you know, um, you know, um, cutting off your nose to spite yeah. your face? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer, a short answer, um, Alex, but there's a lot of, of issues that I think we have to face head on if we want Canada to truly be a footballing nation and for our, our grassroots to thrive and for players to continue to be involved, especially young women and young girls who are still, I mean, the pandemic hit. And I mean, hmm. young girls were who were already dropping out of sport at, you know, the at the age of puberty at 12 or 13. Um, you know, the rate they were hit even harder by the pandemic. So how can we do right by them, by the next generation, but boys and girls, so that we're making sure we're we're keeping that talent and we're funneling them into these sort of the upper echelons of our sport and what we can provide for them in our own backyard. And I want to go off that because you you put it so eloquently. And I don't think there's an easy solution to women's soccer in this country. As you said, like Canada soccer has been so dysfunctional. It doesn't, you can't fix it overnight, but at least it seems as though these problems are now out there in the open. And that's at least a start. And with the women's league, I'm I'm really optimistic. I really hope Ottawa, I think Ottawa has a team where I'm from, or they're probably going to have one, which would be great. Yeah, I hope so. I'd love to to go out and support. And um, yeah, and I want to ask you a bit about the women's team itself. Um, obviously, they have a tough group. Um, I think all three nations are in the top 45-ish in, in the world. Mm-hmm. With all everything you've mentioned with the strife between the women's team and the federation, what should the expectations be for this women's side after winning the uh, the gold medal at the Olympics in 2021? Well, I think they continue to to fight for respect, I think, worldwide, like despite those three consecutive podiums. I think if you look at the Ballon d'Or shortlist, you look at the Ballon d'Or nominees, um, the individual awards, you know, Canada has not featured. Like they gave Christine Sinclair a made-up award because they realized that they'd done her um, a disservice, you know, by during in her prime, because now we have to recognize she's in the twilight mm-hmm. of her career. She's still playing some fabulous football you know, but her best years are likely behind her. And I hope I'm wrong on that. She will, will likely prove me wrong, hopefully in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, they uh, gave her an award that they basically hadn't given before just to sort of give her some hardware, which is great. Um, you know, Ashley Lawrence continues to fly under the radar, which is a complete mystery to me. I think Jesse Fleming, uh, while being recognized a little bit more, is again somebody else and is it is it because they're canadian i i don't know but it, it could be you know because of the re- the reduced field um some may argue it's an easier tournament to play through than than the world cup and it is if you look at the timelines and the amount of games that you play less european teams which canada has had a tough time with in these international competitions um so maybe you know d- a diluted pool perhaps is that it? I have. I don't really know, um, but I. I think, despite the challenges that Canada has, has faced recently, we haven't even talked about the injuries that uh, the yeah, team has. So, yeah. you know that that adds on to um, already um, a, a really uh, tenuous situation with our, our women's national team. Um, is is that depth that they had all of a sudden on the attack? 
which those two Achilles injuries to Nichelle Prince and to Deanne Rose, like they're going to be fighting against the clock to return. Um, you have Kadisha Buchanan, who was recently at a boot and didn't participate in the Champions League for Chelsea. Um, but she's back training. The other two that I mentioned, they're back training. But to get game fit, that's an issue. Adriana Leon, who was doing so well with Canada's, I think, in my mind, their, their best scorer, their best striker in the last calendar year makes that transfer from West Ham over to Manchester United and then doesn't play. Yeah. And then now is playing with, with the thorns, but then Becky goes down with the ACL injury. So, so she's not available. And, and to me, that might, might be the biggest loss. Um, I haven't even spoken about Desi Scott who kind of shrouded in mystery that knee injury, but she is somebody who is hugely important to this team to sort of insulating that back line and locking down that midfield and just being a constant presence there and a ball winner and, and an outlet, but then, you know, starting the attack and building out of that deep midfield. Um, but yeah, but to, back to Jeanine Becky for a second, I think that Bev Priestman, I think sometimes when you're a player with as much versatility and athleticism as Janine has, that sometimes you're undervalued because, you know, when you're, you, when you're a striker, you're that number nine or you're that Christine Sinclair. And then obviously she's an outlier, but you're slotted in there immediately. But when you're a player, you can play wing back, you can play fullback, you can maybe play down the spine where she's been used sometimes as a number 10 um, or as an out and out winger. I think sometimes, you know, you're not seeing as the the key member of the squad. But for me, I think it wasn't lost on Bev Priestman and she was the first name on that team sheet because it gave Bev that flexibility when it came to make a, a key substitution then she could make her substitution when oftentimes, and usually it was not Janine. And then she could shift tactics. She could shift Janine around and plug her in where she needed her and know that she had a reliable person in that role, wherever it was. So there's nobody else. I don't think that can fill that role on the team right now. Um, so, uh, but you know, there, there's still some, some good youth that that's coming up and, and Jade Rose is one. So, you know, the, there's that center back battle with, with, uh, there's Buchanan and Jill. So assuming that Buchanan is healthy. Um, and then, um, Shalina, who has also gone through her own struggles with, with COVID and then with, um, with mono, I think she had, and mm. like is recently just back playing with the Spurs and missed the last national team camp. So, I mean, those are already three great leaders and really pivotal players um, playing sort of that defensive stalwart role in the, the, the three center backs. But Jade Rose has shown that she can come in there and not only do the job, but she can, she can do a valiant job against the likes of Sam Kerr, one of the best strikers in the world, but can also play that fullback position. Um, and then, but Jade Revere being back and then made her debut for Manchester United um, that is great news for for her as a player to be back healthy, but that's great news for Canada because I think she's going to emerge, if not at this World Cup, um, I think in the next couple of years as as one of the best players that Canada's ever produced. Wow, wow, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I but for just to go back, like, it, is a quarterfinals a successful tournament? What 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 do you think the expectations or or what would be a success for this team? at the world cup. Yeah. Well, I mean, prior to all of this happening, the, the funding being pulled and and then mm-hmm. say the Becky injury, assuming those other guys are, are healthy and coming back the names, the aforementioned names that I went through, I was thinking semifinals wow. and would it be a disappointment if they didn't get there? Likely not, but of course, making it through the group stages, making it out of the group. But I think they have the capacity and the talent 
to, to make it to the semifinals. And then would it be a disappointment if they didn't make it? Probably not. But I, it's, I think it's the type of result um, or the type of, of tournament that they need in order to, mm. get, to go back to my previous point to get that respect. And it's, that's not what their primary motivation is. But I think that goes a long way to sort of rectifying where this team um, belongs in terms of the the world hierarchy of of women's football. Like they're ranked number six in the world, but you know you look at that group. Like does is is Australia fearing Canada? I'm I'm not entirely sure. That's going to be a really tough game after they go across the country to Perth and they have to come back over to the mm-hmm. East Coast. Like you know it was it wasn't really talked about, but like to be to be in that group. And I think they they do okay against Ireland. Nigeria is going to be a tricky game. We had well. that series, yeah, where I don't think Canada was very convincing last spring against them in Vancouver and, and Victoria. Um, so that that game I think is going to decide a lot. That final group game against a team that's going to have all the support yeah. in the world and lots of Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi is coming from the stands, right? But yeah. if they get through that game, I think it only gives them confidence. And then it also gives, it buys you a little bit of time because, you know, if you're working against the clock for injuries, you're, you're not going to get more game fit, you know, mm-hmm. game one versus the first game of the knockout stages. But for a player that might need just an extra week or maybe an extra 10 days, then, you know, you might, maybe you can get like 30 minutes out of a sub that maybe you didn't have at your disposal beforehand if you're Bev Priestman. But uh, I, I think this team desperately needs that, not only for like their morale, for everything that they've gone through, but, you know, is this Christine Sinclair's swan song? Yeah. I don't know. Does she stick around for Paris in 2024? Um, I'm not sure. So again, I hope she defies the odds and and defies me saying that she's in the twilight of her career, but um, hopefully they can put it together. If if not for them and kind of where they, they deserve to be, I think in terms of a, uh, a perception of this team and in, in the world, but also for, for their captain. Yeah. And I want to, before I let you go, I want to ask you just that Canada, it seems as though finally soccer really feels as though with the men and women's team is coming to the forefront of people's minds. And we've mentioned numerous times about the Olympics. You mentioned the men's going to the world cup. <clears throat> what effects will these have for the next generation of, Canadian soccer players and and just people in Canada for the game in this country. What do you think the making the the World Cup in the men's and, and winning the Olympics and all those medals in, in previous year will do for the game in, in this country? I think they can really be galvanizing moments for for this next generation. You know that you get those recognizable faces. Um, you get the the visibility that I think the sport needs, but you get also the representation that that you need for for Canada which is a, a cultural mosaic and we're proud of it um but you can you can champion it and you can you can actually see it and then you can be it you know which is something so important for young girls but also for young boys to look at a Tejon Buchanan to look at a yeah. at an Alfonso Davies um a Milan Borian um a Tiba Hutchinson mm-hmm. um but also to look at an Alistair Johnston and the trajectory mm-hmm. that his career has taken and, you know, his time spent at CF Montreal and now he's basically on every team of the week in the Scottish yeah, Premier yeah, League for is. Celtic. Right. Um, so you, you have that, but then you, you also have the, the kind of reverberations felt from um, the excitement of being at that world cup, maybe not getting the results that you hope to get, 
but seeing your team, seeing that representation, seeing it on the biggest stage. And then for our women as well, you know, you, you get to see maybe not quite the same diversity because I think in, in, in women's sport, um, I think say for an example, just to, just to back up a little bit from my original point, um, the Quebec Rex now is called the PF, um, is still pay to play for young girls. Yeah. And that's something that I hope to have a hand in changing eventually. Um, because the boys, if you, I mean, there's no girls academy at CF Montreal, but hopefully soon we'll have a girls academy. The boys academy certainly is not pay to play. Yeah. And so, you know, soccer has long seen, as long since been seen as a sport that's highly accessible, say compared to hockey, because your price point for entry is is significantly lower because you just need a pair of runners and and your shin pads and you're good to go. But as you move up through the ranks, we're seeing now that you're you're leaving the poor kids behind. If you don't have the means, if your parents don't have the socioeconomic standing to pay a couple grand a year, well, then we lose those kids. Um, and then I think you're seeing on the women's side, you're seeing kind of a narrowing in terms of the diversity um, because of that. Um, so I think hopefully in a generation's time, you're you're going to see teams that are truly representative of our of our Canadian population. But you can see now in your Kadisha Buchanan's and in Quinn as a first transgen- mm-hmm. transgender athlete to win a medal and everything that they stand for and all the work that they're doing in the community. Um, it, it's very, very meaningful to, to see yourself, to see somebody who looks like you achieve big things. And so I think Canada is at a little bit of a tipping point now. I don't think that we're truly a footballing nation yet i think that our federation needs to get things in order um our certainly our national sports organization are at a time of reckoning and we need to make sure that we create safe environment for everybody to practice and to play sport and um i think our communities need to continue to to champion that and to make sure that it's an inclusive environment it's a diverse environment and it's an enjoyable and safe place for everybody to be and then um you know if you have that tip of the pyramid where you have people that that look like you that are saying the right things and are, are being our great role models, then you create that link. And then I think you will see in a couple of generation or this generation now that are young, that remember the uh, Fonzie's goal. Mm. You remember um, Julia Grosso scoring that penalty at the, at the Olympics to win the gold medal. That will be for them, maybe a moment that they reference when they're on your podcast (laughs) and they say that's something that spurred me along and made me kind of that put that set me on this path so I, i think we're doing a lot of the right things on the playing field i think now that canada needs to make sure they're evening the playing field to maybe not sound so hokey to make sure that it's accessible to all and equal opportunity is afforded to all but that you're creating a really professional governance system um, in our national sporting organizations that are supporting then the the elite play on the field, that off the field, uh, we can be proud of that as well. Thank, thank you so much, Amy, for for coming on. I really appreciate that. And I think uh, um, if you're uh, the head or as part of uh, Canadian soccer, we're pretty lucky to have you. And um, thank you so much for for taking the time. And and I I really hope that uh, and I really believe that. Um, soccer in Canada is getting better. It'll be tough, but we have to keep pushing through and um, make it better and more accessible for all and, and fair to, to whoever you are, not just um, 
based on money or anything else like that. So thank you so much for, for taking the time and coming on, Amy. Thank you, Alex. It was great. Thanks for the chat.